You are listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Good morning. Good morning. How go with it? I think really well. Fairly well. Let's say fairly well. Let's just play it safe. That adjusted very quickly. <laughs> you went from really well to, oh, I'm going to say fairly. Yeah. Well, I don't really have anything concerning me. Nothing pressing. No disasters. And oh, that's I still have this cup of coffee and it's good. Aha! But it will soon be empty. It will soon be empty. And I think that it's a small regression in how fine things are. Mm, yes, yes. <laughs> but that means you'll be finished with the first cup of coffee. Mm. I see and that means, I what about second what about cup of coffee? coffee? <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Uh, that's what I like to do, you know. In the normal day, what is the max number of cups you might drink? Oh, two, absolutely. Okay. That okay. is, I could not tell you the last time I did more than two. Years. Years? Yeah, literal years. Whoa. It's not always uh, that I do two cups of coffee. Right. Typically, that's like a Monday through Thursday thing. I will say that, actually, there's a pretty regular pattern now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Monday through Thursday, two <laughs> cups of coffee. So yeah. I do a morning cup first thing when I wake up mm-hmm. and then an afternoon cup after lunch and then Friday Saturday Sunday just one Sunday just one yes wow. after church <gasps> wow okay yeah, not before church that I don't know if I could prepare myself to deliver problem, two sermons on oh, zero caffeine oh no the problem is I am so excited and so mm, bursting it does its own work with energy you. yeah that yeah. I uh, you can't if I had that. coffee it would not be good Interesting. like my heart would be it would probably just run out of my chest. It would just like open. It would go like alien on me. Just <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I do very much appreciate the cup of coffee after church. I imagine That so. feels really nice. It is, it's not always about the caffeine. It's not always yeah. utilitarian. Sometimes it's just like, this is a good, delicious yeah. life giving. It's not life giving, but you know what I mean. It's life giving. We life-giving. can say that. Okay. <laughs> it is in its own way. In its, in its own place, manner, yes. <laughs> in the proper order of being, yeah. <laughs> is life-giving. So yeah, I do that after church. And it does also help with some of the like post-church crash, because all that excitement, all that, you just kind of you build it, build it, build it, yeah. and then you're... Hmm. So that's, that's generally actually the pattern. I've never really thought about it, but now that I have, there it is, yeah, for what it's neat. worth. I like that. Yeah. And uh, we were just talking before we got into recording here that mm. I've switched recently back to primarily mocha pot yeah. for my coffee. Mm-hmm. So, you know recommend yeah absolutely good stuff i mean however you like your coffee and if you don't like your coffee why (laughs) (laughs) why just why yeah just why yeah you know which is a there would be a big difference of opinion between me and you if you don't yeah if you don't like coffee Mm. and i would want to know i'm genuinely interested Mm. email me (laughs) (laughs) please email podcast like Coffee, yeah. which of course is a, that's a nice little segue into oh. the topic of discussion Seamless. for today's episode, which is, well, you see in the podcast title, which is asking why. Mm-hmm. You're getting at least an idea of that yeah. because when we think about people who believe differently than us, think differently, we like coffee, they don't, that's you know. The coffee agnostics. We, uh, yeah, we enjoy the Lord's gifts and they don't. <laughs> <laughs> you got me like really just joking of course kind of am i i don't know uh, email us now when we think about people who believe differently or think differently than we do i do think it can be easy to get stuck 
only in terms of difference exclusively you know we may get fixated on the fact that they have a different sexual ethic than we do or a different political outlook or an entirely different worldview altogether Mm. although that means we may disagree on some pretty foundational things and we will need to discuss those differences like before we even get to this episode i'm not saying ignore differences what i am wanting to get at here today though is that we will still probably i'm going to say there's a nine out of ten chance we're going to share similarities there are perhaps surprisingly to us <laughs> things that we probably do agree on in spite of those big differences yeah and the apostle paul shows us how we can find common ground in particular with the lost with those who are unbelievers uh, who don't uh, profess faith in christ by saying something we both agree with and then he also shows us how we can go from there to probing the deeper differences in the pursuit of hopefully finding unity ultimately In faith, right? The idea would be that they would be won over to faith in Christ. So here's this account from Acts 17 and just a couple verses. Acts 17 verses 22 through 23 says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Mm. Now, it's interesting because the context here, just in case you're wondering, is that Paul has shown up in Athens, which Mm. is like the philosophical capital of the ancient world. Yes, it is the Mecca of philosophy in the ancient world. And he's shown up there. And he's, of course, been on his missionary journeys preaching the gospel. And so he walks into the Areopagus, which is kind of the marketplace. Mm. And there were temples here and all this stuff. So you have Greek philosophy and religion. And he decides he's going to share the gospel. In fact, what it says is he saw all these temples to all these idols, and it says his spirit became provoked within him. Oh, wow. Right? But rather than beginning his message with a word of judgment, because he's speaking to secularly minded people, he doesn't begin there. He doesn't bash people over the head with a scroll to start this message, because he's out in the public square. So he first states something that his audience would agree with. He disarms them and gets them to lower their guard with the idea, hopefully, that they'll listen to him for longer than a span of five seconds. Right? That's <laughs> That would be ideal. So... I feel like you could almost hear the Athenian saying, as he says these things, yeah, you're right, Paul, we are religious in every way, and we're proud of it. Yeah. And they were very proud of their religion. Oh, yeah, it's that has to be like one of the most flattering things you could tell them, I would assume. Yes, it absolutely like, is. This is your thing, this is your city, yeah, man. right, exactly. And so it's only then from this common ground that Paul then launches into the proclamation and defense of Jesus and his resurrection, and saying that, oh, hey, uh, you know, you were ignorant before, and God overlooked those times of ignorance, but now he has appointed a man who will come to judge the living and the dead, and he has proved this by his resurrection from the dead. And it's only after finding something that they can both agree on, though, that Paul says, you know, yeah, we agree on that, but tell me, have you thought about this? Mm. You know, and like, he he proves it by saying, like, you have this temple to this unknown God. Like, so you clearly are willing to admit there may be something you don't know. Yeah, exactly. Let me tell you about that. He was able to set the stage for these Athenians to say, well, you know, actually, no. Hmm, I'd, I'd, I'd never really thought about that, you know? And uh, I mean, we could call that like a hmm moment if we wanted to be really, you know, kind of tacky about it. But I think such a hmm moment creates a door to share the gospel and to speak as the voice of Christ mm. in an environment to a group of people you might not otherwise 
get a listening ear from because yeah. again he's in the Areopagus he's not in a synagogue or at a church right right so you speak differently to those yeah. environments I think that's a pretty profound little tidbit here yeah. in this it, account it's a unique approach in a number of ways mm-hmm. I think from like what I quickly scanned in that section he barely even takes the stance of correction in mm-hmm. that entire segment until yep. we like zip into another point in the timeline yeah maybe like very soft correction by way of suggestion at mm-hmm. best like if I could really construe it that way when he's like we should not think of the divine being as like a gold or silver or stone made by human hands yes great love yeah. that observation <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> reminds me of a, an episode we've done recently um, but like really at most it feels like he's inviting them into a different approach and yes like some scoff at the idea of resurrection sure and yep. uh, others believe and others want to know more and mm-hmm. it seems like him taking this different tack to invite them into a more complex or richer way of thinking is like pretty meaningful for yeah. these people who are clearly in some ways open to thinking about things that they don't yet know all of the pieces to mm-hmm. he even quotes their poets to make a case yes which i think mm-hmm. is very cool that yes. you, like it clearly shows some interest and in maybe i don't know maybe even admiration in the mm-hmm. work i think i mean i choose to take that really not as like a tactic not like as a sales tactic maybe maybe it is i don't know it's him it's not me i'm not <laughs> say I wouldn't do it that way. (laughs) I mean, in my best interpretation, it feels like a recognition of truth and beauty within their world that he can reach out to and say, like, this points to the truth, maybe even more than you realize. Yes, yes. And I think what strikes me, well, there's so many things that strike me here. (laughs) But one of the things that I love is that this is, I think, fairly easy to imitate. You know, like when Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Yeah. This is actually not that difficult to imitate. And we can actually, I think, do this in part by asking that simple one word question, which is why? It's like when we're in discussions like this, Mm -hmm. again, you know, like I'm going to preach to our church. I'm going to handle myself on this podcast and other venues differently than I do when I'm actually like having conversations with (laughs) unbelievers outside the church. right? Right. And so like, let me show you how this would work with the example of human rights, okay? Mm -hmm. Many people in our day and age, I'm going to say most, I think most everybody is concerned about human rights, right? Like we believe all people should be treated with dignity regardless of race, gender, sexuality, and so on, okay? Even the staunchest of atheists advocate for human rights. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. I won't get into this discussion here, but if you read like modern philosophy journals, the ways that they try to ground human rights. I think it falls apart because they can't ground it in God, which is where I'm getting to, obviously. But they're trying to do that, which is in great contradistinction from like 19th and 20th century atheism, which is like Nietzsche, Mm -hmm. who he and a lot of his followers and guys like Sartre were like, yeah, no, like there's like, (laughs) right, no, like the strong destroy the weak. Mm -hmm. Like compassion is a Christian weakness that needs to be expunged from society. Like that's like what Nietzsche writes. He has a book called The Antichrist. (laughs) As it happens. (laughs) That's like a phrase. And he's like, compassion is a Christian weakness that just needs to be expunged. Mm -hmm. But atheists now, like if you read modern philosophy journals, it's very interesting that they understand we need to advocate for human rights. And they're trying to figure out how do we ground that? It sounds a little bit like what we see here in Athens. Yes. Yes. And so I say all that to say we share that in common. Mm-hmm. Right. As Christians, mm-hmm. like we advocate for human rights, like we believe you need to do that. We've been advocating for that from the beginning of the faith. And so as Christians, we want to advance those. We share that common ground with atheists. Now, suppose you were having a conversation with, say, and you have to be like a staunch atheist. Let's just say it's someone who doesn't believe in Christianity, mm-hmm. not a Christian. And yet they strongly advocate for human rights. All right. To have a great, I think, 
helpful conversation that might move the ball down the field. You could point out that the both of you share this common ground of advocating for human rights, but then you could take the issue just a little bit deeper without raising their defenses, I think, without getting into like the, you know, they're going to shut down and stop listening to you mode by simply asking, you know, like, I know you believe strongly in human rights and that's awesome. So, you know, like what Paul did with, I see you're religious in every way. And I was like, yeah, that's right. We are. We love that. Like, yes, I am an advocate for human rights. Great. So I'm just curious, why do you believe that humans have rights? Like, why? Where does that come from? Instant turn into philosophy. Yes, that's right. That's right. You know, and there may be a pregnant pause there or they may, they may offer an answer or they may say, I don't know. Hmm. But either way, you get to have that discussion and then you can segue into, well, you know, can I tell you why I, as a Christian, believe in human rights? And then you have an opening to share the gospel and be the voice of Christ and say, like, I believe that human rights exist and are fixed and unchangeable because we are created by a God and made in his image. And because God has bestowed that image upon every human being that makes us unique, it means we have a dignity and a value that cannot be taken away from us. And that's why I advocate for human rights, because it's grounded in God. Yeah. I don't even know if this really bears mentioning, but I feel like it's worth being aware of like how you wield <laughs> this why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, I don't know, I think it could be easy to almost be in unintentionally antagonistic with with like, well, why? Like, you're like, you're pushing all the while you just have a, a backup plan that you you're ready to like deploy. Like mm-hmm. it's a, I'll ask why until you can't answer anything anymore. And then I will spring this upon you. But like actually being interested in having that conversation, mm-hmm. like even if they have a well thought out answer that, that like you don't love, like right. you can still create some like common ground in, in spite mm-hmm. of that, I think. And, yep. and like having a conversation of like, okay, well I have like a different point of view as to why it's really important to me yep. and not use that as like a, a, like a bludgeon or something. Sure. But okay, but I'm also curious about this. Let's say, let's say I'm having this conversation and mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, like tell me more about this. And and they have they have a super well thought out answer as right. to why. And I'm like, cool, you know, this is like this is kind of where I'm coming from. Why do I want to dig deeper? Like, mm-hmm. why not just be like, wow, that's great. We have common cause. Yes. Lovely. Yeah. And I think part of I think mean, you could answer that question a number of different ways. Part of this for me is when we ask unbelievers these kinds of why questions, you you typically one of two things will happen, right? Like it's possible, like, you know, if you're asking one of these guys who's writing one of these philosophy journals why he believes that, he's going to give you, it may not be a satisfactory answer as far as like, oh, they could be like, oh, that's well thought out. Like you've thought through it. Exactly. And then you, turns out, oh, you have more in common than you even thought. Hmm. And for me, that provides another avenue because I ultimately, what I want to do is not like a bludgeon, but like a, like a fine point, like my hope would be you would come to faith in the Lord and like share in all that that joy in that life. And so in that moment, you have an opportunity to do what Jesus did with one of the teachers when he said, you're not far from the kingdom. Like, mm. like can you see like, yeah, see you're, you're getting there. Like your thoughts and conclusions are inevitably leading you to mm. this idea. Like, I'm like the poets. Of, yeah. And I'm, I'm fond of also pointing out that's basically what Tolkien and Hugo Dyson did with C.S. Lewis. <laughs> they were like, do you know, like right. you're moved by all these things. Like keep following that, keep mm. going through. And of course it brings you to Christ. But then- in addition to that, they may not have an answer. Like maybe they've never thought about that. They may not know exactly why they believe that humans have rights. And when you don't know why you believe in something or why you're doing something, that can create some internal friction and dissonance that it's like the open circuit in the brain that's like, I need an answer. (laughs) And then there's a a window to say, let me supply one. Mm. What do you think? Exactly. Yeah. I think digging into that, that kind of like, if you're uncertain, if you're not clear on why you hold that conviction, taking the time to, to delve into that, I feel like it can either help us like reshape something that's kind of unexamined or imprecise. 
or like not deeply rooted mm-hmm. and something we just sort of take for granted. Like you described believing something, but not knowing why, like having this temple, but unsure yeah. to whom it's devoted. But I think, you know, it can also help us like deepen our appreciation and our understanding of like these kind of conversations that you have can help you like articulate things you didn't necessarily spend that time on before. And right. that can like so enrich those conversations and like those beliefs as well. They can really like create more of a, um, like a, more of a common ground, but more of a uh, like a personal appreciation in mm-hmm. in something that is like so important. Yeah, you come back to all that. Either way, you probably there's a uh, I've shared this story before in sermons, I think, but it's another reminder here of like how this kind of approach can thread the needle. There was a still is wonderful lady named Rosaria Butterfield taught at New York University. I think that was I think it was NYU for a lot of years. She was someone who was like she was staunchly antagonistic to the faith, mm-hmm. and uh, she would get story goes she had two boxes on her desk and one box was for hate mail for things that she wrote and said and the other was for like love mail because it was like she was very antagonistic we'll just put it that way very antagonistic <laughs> okay. all right and very provocative yeah. in her writing so she would get like love mail from the people who like yeah you know keep uh-huh. rocking going and then hate mail from people who are like all they were saying like you're gonna burn in hell well, like you a know person to be around right but then she started getting letters from this pastor named ken smith uh-huh. and she didn't know which box to put them in Oh, that's fun. He's engaging my argument. Yeah. He's like, like, I don't know if you thought about this. Like, let's consider this, consider that. Mm. But it wasn't hateful. Yeah, he wasn't like, antagonizing he wasn't, her like, he was like probing questions. He was like, let's talk through this. Mm-hmm. Anyway, long story short, he started having her over for dinners. Aww. And uh, she tells a story that she was converted. They had hymnals and they would, after dinner, grab the hymnals and sing psalms and hymns as a family. And they were over there and she said one of the little boys one night after dinner handed her a hymnal and hmm. they sang the 23rd Psalm. And as they were singing that, she was like, okay, I need to. And now she is a faithful believer who loves the Lord. And like, but it took all of like that, that kind of an experience. Mm. For a brief um, moment, I thought you were going to say they fell in love. And I'm like, oh, how nice. Yeah. But I see there were other, other things that at play. Is, yeah. Has, okay. Got it. Got it. Oh, uh, so yeah. So, I mean, all that to say is I would encourage all of us. This is a great, I think, approach to, I mean, really it's, it's an evangelism approach. That's not the tract, you know, that's like, yeah. they're going to throw the tract away. It's not just the Bible bashing. That's like, okay, like, yeah, I know you think I'm going to hell. Like, you know, <laughs> we get it. It's a way to actually like, I want you to come to faith. Mm. Like I love you and I want what is best for you. And, uh, in the pursuit of that love, let me press this a little bit. Like, let's, let's ask some questions. Let's have some discussions here. And I think it's a really easy, non-combative yeah, that's a good way to do it. that. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's interesting too, because I don't think it requires that you have, I mean, you don't have to have a PhD in philosophy to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of people struggle with evangelism. Like, oh, I don't know if I'm prepared enough. I don't know if I have the intellectual yeah. like capacities. This, this doesn't need to be like, um, like a mechanic of arguing, like right. you're, you know what I mean? To like argue someone into a corner, but right. rather invite conversation. Yes. You're like in this, in this account with, you know, Paul in Athens, some believed and some yep. just wanted to know more. Yep. And like, that's this, I would imagine like the start of a dialogue. Yes. Not, not right. Really, like instantly. Yeah. You know. yeah. Like Rosaria Butterfield, it took her years. Exactly. You know, so like being willing to play the long game and be like, well, they, they didn't convert to faith after that one conversation. Like, yeah, I mean, sometimes that happens, but a lot of times it's, mm. you know, it's like C.S. Lewis kicking and screaming over the course of years, Rosaria <laughs> Butterfield kicking and screaming over the course of years, you know, whatever it may be. So anyway, there we have it. Yeah. Why did we do that, you ask? Mm. Well, you can email us if you want them with that question at podcast at horizonschurch.net. And, uh, you know, if you found this helpful, you know, and you want to leave us an honest five-star review on that Apple podcast platform. I won't ask you why. I'll just accept. Yeah, no, we'll just accept that. Yeah. We will be grateful. Mm. With grateful hearts we receive. <laughs> now, thank you as always for listening. And we'll catch you next time.
Thank you.